0: Good morning, church. You may be seated. How's everyone doing this morning? Good? Ready for the big snowstorm? Um, okay, we're not getting a big snowstorm. What New Jersey calls a snowstorm is like a flurry in Pennsylvania. All right. <laughs> right, Mom? You're from Pennsylvania. Right, exactly. When you say a snowstorm, yeah. And, but hopefully we do wish for some big snowstorm so we can try out the Snowblower Church, Right. Pastor Frank can, since he advertised it. All right, well, it's good to have everyone here this morning. As we move, as we've entered into 2021, we have much to look back on and learn from what God has taught us, haven't we? We move ahead in a new year, a new chapter, and it's it's different than other years because of what we've been through. So looking back in hindsight, during these times, we always see how good God is is and continues to be so this month this past month in January we've learned that we've seen God's grace and hardships didn't we we've seen that we don't we don't want Satan to twist our story like he tried to do with Job when these things are happening it's not God's fault but God is there to be there for us and watch over us and to get us through those times. we learned that we can be confident in God's work through Jesus aren't you glad for that that through his salvation And last week we learned that we can be confident in God's faithfulness through trials and temptations. So today, as we, I want us to look back on 2020 in hindsight and evaluate how we did spiritually. So as we go through the first part of this message this morning, I want you to be thinking how 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 did you handle everything as a follower of Jesus? So our text this morning is Deuteronomy chapter 11. Moses is doing the exact same thing I'm asking you to do this morning. He's telling the nation of Israel, look back. Look and see how great and glorious I am. So before we dive into our text this morning, again, let's just take an overview look of Deuteronomy this morning. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. Good, that is the right answer. The law, the Torah. If we're going to find the gospel in Deuteronomy, well, we know that if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, the word prophet is capitalized, which gives us, indicates that Jesus came to, is going to be the one to fulfill the law. In many senses, Moses was a type of Christ here in the book of Deuteronomy. He fulfilled the Mosaic idea. We see that in John 1.21. I believe if we can outline the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses Preaches or he speaks three sermons in this book to the nation of Israel. Chapters 1 through 3, he's just reviewing the past. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. The second sermon, the rules for the present. Okay, nation of Israel, this is how you need to act now as you go into the promised land. The third sermon is getting prepared for the future. And then the last three chapters is there's rest at the end. If we know the nation of Israel and everything that they've been through, they were needed and they wanted some rest. I want the picture here. The nation of Israel has just wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. Moses is about 120 years old. He's standing looking at this people here. He says, see the Jordan River? They see the promised land. Yet Moses knows he cannot enter that land due to his disobedience to God. And he's preparing them for that entry you see the law of god was not to cramp their style when we read the old test we think oh the law we think about laws in our culture i gotta follow the laws of traffic they're there to help us aren't they Think about This morning you probably went into your medicine cabinet. For us that maybe take medicine or pills every morning, you take specific pills for certain things. And many of us probably have many pills that we take in the morning just to keep us functioning in the day, right? You never wake up and say, you know what? Hmm, Today I think I'm going to take the green pill today. Ah, You know, then tomorrow I'm going to take the yellow pill because it's a yellow kind of day. No, you'd probably kill yourself. Well, the law is that way. The law is there to help us in our spiritual health or for the nation of Israel, for their spiritual health. It wasn't to cramp their style. It was to benefit them. Well, the church in many years has has been guilty of following the law, rules and regulations of do's and don'ts. But it's all about a relationship, isn't it? It's not about rules and regulations. Yet the law is there to push us into a path. And what did Jesus say in, in the New Testament? He says, if you love me, you'll what? You'll keep my commandments. Like couples, when you first started dating and you got engaged, remember, what you, you did things to please that individual. You wanted that person to love you, and so you wanted to do things and, and show how sweet you are and nice you are, Right? Well, we don't need to do that with God, but it's the idea that we obey God's commands when the nation of Israel did, it showed where their heart was. So, quickly, I just think like to look through Deuteronomy's chap- Deuteronomy chapter 11 and just look at a few points here as we look in hindsight in our life. So, first, we want to see Deuteronomy 11, 1 through 7. And it says this Looking back on what God has done, Moses is telling the nation of Israel, look, look back. And see what I have done. Let's read verse 1 there. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it. Consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh the king of Egypt and to all in his land. Remember that story of the plagues and how God worked through Pharaoh? Verse 4, And what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day. We remember that story. Moses is telling listen, remember that, remember this. Verse 5, and what he did in the wilderness until you came to this place, his provision in the wilderness, and what he did to Datham and Abram, the son of Eliab, son of uh, Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their household, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of Israel. For your eyes have seen all the great works the Lord had done. Have you ever said this? I've heard many individuals say this. I've even said this. Man, I wish my kids, I wish that my friend could have heard that message. You heard a message, man, this is really good for so-and-so. What so yeah, I, I Yeah, that person <laughs> needs to hear that message. Moses is saying here, listen, this isn't for your children, this is for you. You were a youth when you've seen these things happen. You, what you we're going to see at the end of Deuteronomy is then there's going to be instruction to tell their children the great things God did. But this is for those individuals that seen these great acts. Now there's, there's an event here, probably unfamiliar, we see this story here of Datham and Abram. How many remember, know, have heard that story? Not just this morning, of course. Number 16. So if you put there in your, in your little space there in, your, in between you some text, put number 16. That's where you can reference this story. And just a quick overview, because I was like, man, okay, well, I remember kind of what happened. But so let me just give you a quick overview. This was a, this was a Red Sea moment. So Datham and Abram were part of the leadership, spiritual leadership team of Israel. Korah was a high priest from the Levitical tribe during the time of Moses, do the wandering, okay? So he was, he was a part of the leadership team there as they were wandering through the wilderness. There was a power struggle happening. Korah, Datham, and Abram, they thought Moses and Aaron had too much power, and they wanted them to step down. So Moses, in his wisdom and his discernment, I guess you could call it, it was the, It was the drawl at the Yahweh corral, all right? Okay? It was the showdown. Moses said this, all right, if I'm not the guy for the job, you will continue to live your life and die of old age. But if not, if I am the guy for the job, if I'm the guy supposed to lead Israel, the earth will open up and swallow you up. And wouldn't you know, as soon as Moses stopped, the earth opened up and swallowed Datham, Abram, their household, all living things associated with them. Core all those individuals swallowed up, and then the earth came back to normal. Can you imagine seeing that as a youth? Like, Cook. Yep, I vote Moses. I like you, Moses. You're our leader. You're our leader, man. Absolutely. And then it says there in number 16 that then people started running because they did. The 250 other individuals started running because they didn't want to be swallowed up, and God sent fire down from heaven and burnt them. That's a Red Sea moment. To see that, let alone seeing waters divide is like amazing. But to see the earth open up, boop, and then close up. God's telling him, listen, remember these things. Remember how I protected you and watched over for you. So if we look at verses 8 through 12, now Moses is saying, listen, look back. Now these next verses, looking forward to what God will do if we obey. Verse 8, and you shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you are going over to possess. possess. That you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them and their offspring, a land flowing with milk and honey. And it continues through 10 through 12 about entering, taking possession of the land, going over, possessing the land of hills and valleys, the land in which the eyes of the Lord are upon Listen, if you obey my laws, if you do this, look what you have in front, of, look what you will possess. Church, do we look forward to see what God has for us? We've talked about that the past couple weeks. We have a land. We have a heaven we will be part of. We will be kings in this land with Jesus. That is our future. No more crying, no more weeping, no more sin. Amen. Look at verses 13 and 14. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today. Again, he's going back. Listen, if you obey these to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season. Early rain and latter rain that you may gather in your grain, your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields of your livestock and you shall eat and be full. If you obey, if you follow me. This is what I'll give you. Now, if you don't obey, look at verses 16 and 17. Take care, lest your heart be deceived. And we know, if we know the nation of Israel, they were deceived many times. And you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. That never happened in Israel, did it? If you ever, if you want to... uh, tap on to Wayne Baker's YouTube um, lesson. He's going through the book of Judges. That was a time where Israel did what was right in their own eyes. And we have a 350-year cycle of them doing that, obeying, sinning, oppression, repenting. We see that cycle. So Moses here saying, listen, if you do this, What's he say there? There will be no rain. There, your, your land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land the Lord has given you. Now, I want to just, just, just for a couple just a few moments here, I want us to look at Old Testament history a minute. There's, there, there's uh, some, some friends that we would consider the reform movement or the covenant theology movement, replacement theology, which gives the idea that the church has replaced Israel. And they use verses like this to do that. Because it says the Lord will take you off the land. I want to explain some just quickly. There's two covenants here we need to make sure we understand. There's the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis chapter 12, 15, 17, and 19. It gives land, seed, and a promise. Israel is given lamb. Abraham was given a son. And they were given a promise. That is what's called an unconditional covenant. God pulled Abraham out of Ur. Here's what I'm giving you. There is no conditions attached to this. Because in Revelation 19, when we come down with Jesus on our horses and, we, and Jesus sets up his kingdom, we are going to see what the land of Israel is, the whole land that was promised to Israel, to Abraham. What you see now, that's not the whole land of Israel, what we're going to see in the future. That's unconditioned. That's going to be forever, and there's no conditions attached. What we see here is the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant is Conditional. We're reading here right here in the text. "If you follow me, if you obey me, here is what's going to happen. If you don't, guess what? God says, we'll take them out of the land. That land is still theirs. But as we've seen through Israel's history, they disobeyed God, they suffer the consequences. They obey God. God gave it to them. So understand, Abrahamic, unconditional. the land is promised. The seed is promised, but there through the law, there's conditions. And aren't you glad? That Jesus came to fulfill the law. You don't seem too excited about that, but you'll get it. Okay, so now we look at verses 18 through 21 of Deuteronomy 11. And Moses is saying, listen, proclaim what God has done now. Okay, look back. Look forward to If you obey me, here's, what, here's the blessing. If you don't, here's the consequence. Now here's what he wants you to do. Remember what he said at the beginning of this text? He says, this isn't for you. This isn't for your children. This is for you. Now what he's telling the, the, these, these Israelites, he's saying, now, listen, I want you to tell your children the good things God has done. Look at verse 18. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of the Lord swore to your fathers to give them. There we go. There's that Abrahamic covenant. As long as the heavens are above the earth. I want you to put there in in your text Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. We see that same context a few chapters back. So a picture here of a, of a man at the wailing wall, and you'll see the, the word put them on your forehead, the phylacteries. And you see those straps around their hands. And what this is, and it goes, goes back to Deuteronomy. They were to think of God's word, literally put it on your mind, and that's what a phylactery is. And the straps around your hand as you're doing your work, as you're, as you're sitting there, as you're looking, you're looking at your hands, that you're thinking about God all the time. And what is he, what's he telling us? What's he telling the nation? But what can we learn from this? When you rise up, when you go through your day, when you go to sleep, That the word of God, the law of God for the nation of Israel, we should be talking to our children and our grandchildren about this, about the things that we're learning, the things that are going on, and how God has provided. We can take application of this. We think about the year that we went through, and we can really be discouraged, but we can take this application. Let's look at the good things God has done for us. Right, church? As families, we can do that. I challenge us: Sit around the dinner table and and talk. Hey, so... This is going on in our world. Okay, well, what does does the Bible say? Well, that's a good point. Have, have Have those God conversations with our children. The law commanded Moses and his nation of Israel to do just that. When you're walking, when you're talking, in the evening, in the morning, every time you get a chance, proclaim God's goodness and greatness. You see, when we look at Deuteronomy 11, we see God telling this nation, hey, look what I've done. Look what I'm going to do if you just follow my word. Some questions for us this morning. So church, I I want you to think with me on just just two questions. So what has God taught you this past year? Home life, work, kids at school, community. What has God taught you through what we've gone through as a a, a country, as a a city, as a church? What has he taught you? Think about it, man. What has God taught you as you look at Hindsight? The second question, it would kind of it goes along with the first, is based on how you have lived your life through this pandemic, through the culture, the election, the, the tensions, the social tensions that are happening, does your life reflect your dependence on the God you worship? Let, let me say that again. Does your life reflect the dependence on the God that you worship? Did you ever have those family meetings growing up? I know mine did. I wasn't in trouble, um, which was odd. Um, But mom and dad said, "Hey, listen, we got we got to come down. We got to talk as a family. Might have been something that was extended family matters, something we were doing as a family. We need to pay attention to the serious family meeting." Well, this morning I'd like to transition from Deuteronomy chapter eleven, and I want to take application to look back, learn, and move forward in the grace of God. But I'd like to close our gathering this morning at that type of family meeting. There's one particular area in which I know the pastors here are just concerned. We see this happening in our country, in our churches, and can easily creep into our local churches. And I think it needs to be addressed from a biblical perspective, which everything we do in life should be addressed from a biblical perspective. And since we are looking back in hindsight of this past year, You see an area that I think we all have struggled with, and actually this struggle has been part of our life since we can remember, but the object of or focus of this particular issue has changed on our surroundings and what we're being told or taught. And this is the area of fear, the area of fear. And so if you would, you're getting your money's worth. We're in the Old Testament today, in the first part. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4, second part. I want to look how we can overcome fear, anxiety, worry, and care in our life. See, Moses was telling the nation of Israel, look, remember what I'm going to take care of you. And the concept applies to us even thousands of years later. So I went on a, a website, Ipsos website, and I Googled, okay, top five fears of 2020. <laughs> so first is what? COVID second is unemployment, two is poverty and social inequality, fourth is financial, five is crime and violence. I want to focus on the first, COVID. Of course, the stats here, you, again, you can fact check I me. Mean, that seems to be the big buzzword now, being fact checked, but the, again, you give or take, um, these are not. There's about 26 million cases of COVID in the United States, what they say, about a half a million deaths in the United States. That gives you a 0.02% chance of dying of COVID. It gives you a 99.98% survival rate of COVID. Again, these numbers are probably fluctuated, and those that work in the medical field understand this. And I know there was problems in Pennsylvania of them adding deaths So this. Again, I'm I'm not arguing that here, but I'm just going with what I see on, 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 on the websites. See, because of COVID, anxiety, fear, and worry has been on the rise in our culture, hasn't it? If we look at any kind of other stats of anxiety and worry and concern, about a half million people were, were, were scanned or were, were uh, surveyed, and they, nine out of that 500,000, 93 percent of them say their anxiety shot through the roof since 2019. At that time, they interviewed 77,000 teens who said that they thought of committing suicide and would go into depression because of what they've been through you see what worry is doing to our culture actually the ages 11 through 17 90 are worried about just about life can you imagine being that worried at age 16 17. now I want to be understood here so please I, I just hear my heart COVID is a virus it's a sickness I understand it and I don't want to make light of it by at all I know for many of us, we need to take precautions because of health, because of our age, and I, we respect. I, I, please do so. We're not saying that at all. However, for many in the church community, this virus that has an over 99% survival rate, and many of us have had COVID here, has crippled us with fear. Many still live in fear. Changes the way that we interact with family, interact with church, interact with our communities, how we communicate. My purpose this morning is not to pick sides and to fact-check. Here's, here's my purpose this morning. It's a sensitive topic, but I want to show us from God's Word that living in fear that cripples us is not what God commands us to do. Nor should we continue to live this way. Now, let, 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 let me just let's say this. There, whatever side you choose and how you live your life, you, 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 you do that. Again, we're looking from God's Word this morning, but there's individuals that that are so into this or crippled by this that they're showing signs of hypocrisy and the church and Jesus always suffer. So we provided, the pastors and the deacons provided a, a nine o'clock service for those individuals who just want to stay social distance. We provided that. There's individuals that will not come because of COVID, but you're out at the malls and you're at the Wawa's and you're down at the boardwalk. It's It's unacceptable. Just is. Remember, I'm a realist. Facebook's great. We're glad you're watching. But nothing substitutes the fellowship of believers in the body of Christ. Just doesn't. So just think about it. I, I want this is an admonishment. We love you. We don't want to. We don't look down on anybody. This is, this is, again. This is. Remember, this is a, a, a tool from Satan, <laughs> trying to divide the church and families. What it makes us think is that if we are so, ca- if we are so scared of something of a 99 percent survival rate, what's going to happen when persecution comes to the church? Will we cower, Will we run and hide, just like the Christians did in Hebrews chapter 10. That's why that verse 10:25. Don't forsake the assemblies of ourselves together. Will we be those folks running with our three masks on? Right? Now, because isn't that how you stop COVID now? You wear three masks, you know? Just put us in a box, you know? Because you think about life, 20% of people still smoke. You remember, I remember growing up, man, you, you, you didn't, people just smoked everywhere. You know, right in your face, but then there was this big, you know, secondhand smoke, we don't even talk about smoking anymore. 20% of individuals still drive without a seatbelt on. Probably some of you older generations, I'm going to put these things on, right? That's the way my dad would be. Seventy-five percent of individuals who own mobile devices still say they text while they're driving. Be quiet, Mason. Don't tell on me. Right? It's dangerous, isn't it? Here's some more statistics for us. The odds of individuals dying of certain things. One in seven individuals, one in seven die of cancer. We've had cancer throughout this church. We've seen people die of cancer. It's sad. It's part of the, the deficiency of sin in our culture. It's sickness. One in 106 individuals, the odds of an individual dying is one in 106 in a car accident. One in 111 of falling. So one in 4,000, as we move up the scale, one in 4,000 chance of dying in a bicycle accident. Can't think. can't tell you that when I get bikes out with the kids that we go riding around here that I'm worried about falling off my bike now my wife did but she hurt herself but we won't go there covid one in five thousand individuals odds of dying and one in seven thousand sunstroke who 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 would have you ever think about sunstroke i don't you guys are at the beach with your shirts up Eh, give me sun right and many of us today got up from bed and we walked down our steps to go get our coffee. We got in our car, we turned our car over, and we drove 5, 10, 15, 20 miles to the church and didn't think one thing about it. We did not fear, did we? No. See, we worry about the perceived danger and forget about the real dangers around us. See, with this area of COVID, the media, our politicians, the culture has played a major role in hyping this up. Again, it's real. I'm not saying it's not, but it's paralyzed us. And they did it for their benefit. So as a people, and Pastor Mike was, was sharing this week, and he's right really spot on, we're nearsighted. Something comes in our life, and we're just, bah, here, and we don't look beyond the anxiety or worry. We forget the promises that God will never leave us nor forsake us. We forget the promises that he is the beginning and he is the end, that he will keep us, as he says in the Sermon on the Mount, that he will provide for our needs. He will protect us, won't he? So let's look at Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 7. I just want to take just some application to what we're going through. Not just with the the worry of COVID, but the worry of just... Anything that comes in our life. If I asked, if we took a poll here this morning, as, as who, who's worried, probably all of us would raise our hand. We're worried about something, but we'll see how bad we are at this point. We read what Paul says here: Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Remember where where's Paul when he wrote this letter? Remember the context here. Where he's where's he at? He's in prison. George was a CEO of a company in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and as many CEOs do, they take the burden and the and the worry and pressure of a successful company on your back. And so he went to a doctor's appointment. The doctor told him, "Listen, you've got to you you've got to take a break. If you continue to go this way, you'll be dead in a year." You, your blood pressure is through the roof. You are just stressed out. You, something needs to change. So he took the doctor's advice, and he went up to the mountains of God's country, Pennsylvania, in his cabin, and he had a week off. And at the end of that week, he wrote a letter. And at the end of that letter, he signed it this, God, I resign to you the ruling of my life, and I give it over to you. It's a pretty inter- interesting illustration because maybe there's times in our life we need to do the same thing. God, I resign the worries of my life. Every I give it to you. So let's quickly look at this verse, a verse that's well known to us. So we see it. Do not be anxious. Well, let's break down this word. Now, I don't want to bore you with word breakdowns in Greek, but this is really important. I, I learned something this week, on what, something I didn't know. That word anxious is the Greek word merriment now. Yay, you learned Greek. Okay. Comes three, three English words come from that. Anxious, worry, and care. Jesus used that word when he was talking with Mary and Martha. Remember the, the, the gathering there with, of, of dinner, and, and Martha's running around, and Jesus is saying, Martha, why are you running around worrying? Why are you marrying me now? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, to be without care. Of course, the, 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 probably the, the famous text that we recite a lot is First Peter 5, 7. Peter referring to Christians going through persecution, casting all your what? Care or anxiety on God. That's great. I I, I like that study of that word, but there's something a little deeper I want us to see, and I think you're going to enjoy this because it makes perfect sense. That Greek word merriment now, actually it comes from two Greek words, maritza and now. Do you know what maritza means? Maritza means to tear apart. To tear apart. Now comes from knowledge, means the mind. What does worry do to us? It tears the mind apart, doesn't it? Think about it. You're worried about something right now, and that's all, your thing, that's all that's on your mind. It is tearing apart your mind. James told us, we were studying James last week. James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If you are so focused on a worry, you're double-minded because you're not focusing on what God wants you to focus on. So in context here, here here's what Paul is saying. Stop even worrying about one thing. (laughs) I, 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 I don't even know what to say. Stop worrying about one thing. I would consider myself a worrywart, so that doesn't fare well for me. But this is what the context says. Some other stats force in the area of anxiety. 40, 40 million Americans suffer from anxiety disorders. That's 18% of our country. There was a survey done with 14 other countries, and America, United States, came number one in the area of worry and anxiety. What do we have to be worried about? Our, they said our, our ethos or our code of living is worry and agitation. Go America. Yay! The last three decades, anxiety disorders skyrocketed 1,200% in the last three decades. Do you think worry is a problem for our country? If it's a problem for our country, is it a problem in the church? Yeah. So, how does this work? What's the problem? Anxiety and worry. There's the problem. What's the fix? What's the prescription? What's the pill that you take to fix this problem? Don't worry. The bottom line is you don't worry. Well, let me just walk you through this as we close this morning. I would like to look at three reasons why we shouldn't worry as brothers and sisters, as followers of Jesus. Number one, it's unhealthy. Worry causes great health concerns. Think about when you're worried. Your eating habits change. You don't sleep. You're not functioning because you're not eating right. You're not sleeping well. I think Scripture gives us three illustrations in the Old Testament of individuals who worried. We think of Daniel chapter 6. King Darius, when he signed the edict for his friend Daniel to be thrown in the lion's den, when he was tricked into signing that. What is this, what's the text say? He couldn't sleep. But isn't it interesting? Here's Darius that couldn't sleep. And there's Daniel. If they ran statistics of how, what the odds of dying being thrown to the lions then was back then, it'd be hundred percent. But Daniel was in perfect peace. Isn't that interesting? We see King David in Psalm six. Here's what that says: Flood my bed with tears, my couch with weeping. David was burdened. He was worried. And Moses in Numbers chapter eleven, because Israel's complaining. He says, my burden is too heavy for me to bear, this burden of them complaining. When we worry, it is just unhealthy for us. We put all that on us. Number two, it's peculiar. It's peculiar. It's odd. It's foreign. And here's what I mean. It is just not fitting for a child of God to have the type of fear and anxiety that cripples us like we have seen this past year. So here's what i'm saying when we live in a fear that just shuts us down and we're 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 supposed to be followers of jesus we're we're giving the hope that lies within us to unsaved individuals people that don't know jesus and they see our life and we are crippled in this fear what does that tell them tells them one thing i don't trust god i don't trust god oh hey I trust God in this little area, but when it comes to this stuff, no, I mean, I'm worried. You know, Pastor Frank and I are chaplains. Can we imagine getting, imagine getting called out in a call, trying to calm someone? We're, dude, you're going to die too. <laughs> I would get fired. Why? Because my job is to bring comfort. Church, when things happen, we need to be cool and calm like Daniel was in the lion's den of the things that are happening around. It's peculiar for Christians to be crippled with fear when we have the God of the universe living inside of us. I love what Matthew 6 says, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, listen, if, if, gonna, if I'm going to care for the flowers of the field, if I'm going to care for the birds of the air, I mean, we never see a bird with its little claws over its beak saying, oh my, where am I going to get my next worm, you know? They're just cared for. What's Jesus say? Your father, how much more will your father, not God God's sovereign in the universe, personal, your father. How much more? You know, the Father who made you in his image, how much more would he care for you? And lastly, unhealthy, it's peculiar as Christians to worry. Number three, it's just it's not beneficial. Jesus says in Matthew 6:27, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? Think about that. What are you worried about? Will, will it matter what, what you worry about? Is it going to change the outcome of it? No, it's not. However, I want us to look at, there's a transitional word there, Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, don't be anxious. There it is. But here is the transition. Here is the good news. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace, of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now you know the meaning of merriment now or anxious, do you see, that will guard your hearts and your minds, because worry tears the mind apart. Church, we need to have a replacement of our worry. We need to redirect our thoughts and our priorities. And this verse gives us the answer. And guess what it is? What's the Sunday school answer? Prayer. Why do you think Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing? Because worry just doesn't happen once a week or once a month. If we were honest with each other, we worry about things all day. Pray without ceasing. Remember we talked last week? If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God, and God will give it to him. Well, worry, we're lacking wisdom. We need to pray and ask God to take that from us. You see, worry and worship cannot coexist, can it? When you're focused, and this is is what you are paralyzed by, and you're trying to worship God, and you're focused on this, it just can't coexist. I like what Pastor Skip Heisick says. says this, replace worry with worship. Panic with prayer, anxiety with adoration, and groaning with gratitude. That's a pretty good prescription for our worry. So with anxiety here, and we want peace, which transcends all understanding. So how do we connect the two? It's giving it to God in prayer. There was a young man who said, I'm done worrying. No more worrying for me. I'm going to hire a man to come, and he's going to take all my burdens. I am going to pay him $200,000 a year to be my worry guy. I'll I'll take that job, right? $200,000 a year. You're my worry guy. Okay, I'm going to hire him. Well, his buddy says, how are you going to do this? You can't afford to pay this guy $200,000 a year. The young man says, that's not my problem anymore. That's his worry. (laughs) But as we think about that, See, we have a God who takes our worry free, from ch- free of charge. And church, we need to do that more frequently. And I, this, this, this message hit me upside the head this week. Remind me of an old hymn of the faith. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Now listen to this. Oh, what peace we often forfeit! Oh, what needless pain we bear! All because we do not carry everything. It came right out Philippians chapter four, everything to God in prayer. So as we look back in hindsight of 2020, I'm sure we worried a lot. And Moses was reminded of the nation of Israel, listen, look back at the goodness. Look at your future. For us, knowing Jesus and the future we have in him, church, in our walk, in the way we live our lives, we cannot live in debilitating fear that paralyzes us. This is not a good testimony for the cause of Christ. So our challenge for you this morning is this. Maybe we need to sign a resignation letter to God. Say, God, I'm, I'm resigning as ruler of my life. Let go. And let God let's pray father we thank you for this time together help us Lord this is a tough message for me to apply to my life father is we worry so much and this text is very very clear nothing should divide our minds of what you want us to do so Lord allow us father to to not worry and to give those problems to give those struggles to you Maybe you're here this morning, head bowed and eyes closed, and you're just you're struggling with worry. I, I, I do at times in my life, so it's, it's, it's something I think we can all agree that we we, we we deal with. Just take a moment there in your seat and just make a commitment to God. Say, God, I, I'm going to just work this week and not worry so much. I'm going to give you control of my life and let you just take care of my worries. And maybe you're here today and you're visiting here, you're new here, or, you know, you, you're, you're listening on Facebook, you want to know this Jesus who gives us peace through our fears, through our worries, through our calamities. I mean, I would tell you, we would love to introduce you to this Jesus. This Jesus, if you would call on his name and ask him to come in your life and to change you, to forgive you of your sin, he will change you, and he will give you the peace that passes all understanding. So, Father, help us today as we continue to just live for you. And we ask this your son's holy and precious name. Amen. So, I'll stand up. We're going to sing the first verse What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus.